All right. Good morning, everyone. We are delighted to be back with you again here at Bethany Grace, and I mean that in the most sincere way possible. It's a joy for us to be here every time we're here. Uh, We're here today and again next Sunday, and then we're going to be gone for a couple of months. Uh, We had uh, previously, before we got involved with you folks, uh, committed to help a church whose pastor is going on sabbatical for a couple of months. It's a really kind church to give their pastor a two-month sabbatical in the summer. So I'll be filling in uh, at that church. And then, Lord willing, and the creeks don't rise, as we say out in Indiana, we'll be back in September and joining you there. You know, we have a, we have a saying in southern Indiana about the three hardest things in life. Have you heard this? The first hardest thing in life is to climb a fence that's leaning toward you. I've tried that. It's very difficult. The second hardest thing in life is to kiss a girl who's leaning away from you. <laughs> and whether or not I've tried that is none of your business. That's between, that's between Elaine and me. And the third hardest thing in life is for a congregation to pass through a season of transition between pastoral leaders and to stay unified and to stay hopeful and to stay focused. And uh, we just want to tell you, you're doing that by God's good grace and by His blessing. As an outsider watching, seeing, it's just joyful to see what God is doing here through, through your leaders. So don't stand on the sidelines and criticize and be the armchair quarterback and wait to see how it's going to come out. Get involved. Jump in now in this season as God is preparing you uh, for this next season, which we believe is going to be glorious. Uh, because you're God's flock, you're God's church, and, and God is doing good things here in your midst. We, we definitely see the evidence of the Spirit of God uh, here, uh, indwelling His people corporately and working. Well, let's, let's pray and ask God's blessing as we look at His Word together this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank You uh, for the truths that we have just sung and been reminded of. Thank you that we are corporately your people. We have seen you as you are, and we've seen ourselves as we are, and we rejoice in the mercy that you have shown us, the amazing grace that we just sang about. We know we are your people to tell of your excellencies to our generation, and so we pray that through our text this morning, that you would again show us our Savior, show us His amazing grace, His amazing love, that we might be motivated and, and just equipped to go and share with our world all that you've done for us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in John 9 this morning, the healing of the blind man. Now, some of you old timers will remember a fellow by the name of Louis Armstrong, who famously celebrated the amazing gift of physical sight when he sang these words. And as I read them, you'll just hear his voice if you're my age or older. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for me and you, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I see skies of blue and clouds of white, the bright blessed day, the dark sacred night, And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Well, that song celebrates the the amazing gift of physical sight. 
Just think about it on a, on a morning like this one in Lancaster County as we all came here to church this morning. The beautiful things in God's creation that through these fragile little organs, we were able to take in and respond in worship and praise to the God who created this. What a tragedy it would be to lose your physical sight, right? To not be able to see a majestic mountain range or a Lancaster County morning sunrise. What a loss, what a tragedy that would be. Or worse yet, to have never experienced that at all. Well, you know, there's, a, there's an even greater tragedy than losing your physical sight. And it's a condition that every single one of us have been born into. It's the condition of blindness of heart or spiritual blindness. It's, it's the inability to see God as He truly is and to see yourself as you truly are. And as I said, we're all born with this handicapped tradition, uh, condition. We're all born spiritually unseeing. We're blinded and deceived by sin. We're imprisoned in spiritual darkness. And until something happens to open our eyes to the light, we're basically stumbling around in spiritual ignorance. Well, in the text today here in John 9, John, the gospel storyteller, is going to effectively focus our vision on this this tragedy of spiritual blindness that affects every human. But he's going to show us the one true cure for that blindness, and that cure is offered to every human still stumbling around in spiritual darkness. So let's look here in John 1, and the setting of the story is actually, sorry, that was, slide was to go up while I was talking about blindness of heart. The setting of the story is actually the miracle that uh, is given to us in the first seven verses. It's fascinating. The big event here is the miracle, but the miracle is only the setting for this long conversation that is going to follow. Let's pick it up in verse 1. We're after now the Feast of Tabernacles, after this incredible uh, proclamation that Jesus made, I am the living water, everyone can come and drink. And there in John 8, I am the light, the one that gives light to the world. And now sometime after that feast, that gathering, we read in verse 1, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Think about this, not only spiritually unseeing, but physically unseeing. Never seen a sunrise, never seen a beautiful blue sky, never seen his own mother's face. And the disciples want to start a seminary debate (laughs) when they see this person. Look what they say. Rabbi, his disciples asked Jesus, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Now, you might say, well, wait, wait just a minute, guys. If he was born blind, how could the blindness be because of his own sins? Like he sinned in the womb? Yes, actually, that was a rabbinic teaching about this, that a baby in the womb of a mother who went to a pagan temple to worship, that baby is also guilty of the sin of idolatry along with the mother. It was a great debate. 
And in the, the rabbinic teaching, there was really only, uh, only one explanation for suffering and hardship and handicap and physical problems like this, and it was somebody sinned and is getting punished, right? So the disciples want to have a, you know, a coffee shop uh, seminary debate. The seminaries are famous for this kind of thing. I know because I helped to lead one. <laughs> You know, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin? How, how do we reconcile free will and God's sovereignty? All of those things about which there's been levels of disagreement. But here on this one, there really is no disagreement in the Jewish world. Sin equals punishment. All difficulty like this is explained by somebody has sinned somewhere. And now the Bible clearly gives us examples of people who do receive judgment because of some specific sin. But the, the truth is, we cannot universalize that and say, in every single case, this must be what has happened. And so Jesus corrects their theological misunderstanding here by saying in verse 3, he, he flatly contradicts what they were thinking. He says, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Think about this. There's no mistakes in God's world, no accidents, no, really no human tragedy that is outside of God's good control. God and in the brokenness of our world and the sin that we committed as humans that brought this suffering generally upon all humanity God, is, God and His purposes are still not frustrated by this, and He's saying some of these things God permits so that in a unique and powerful way, His glory, His power might be seen. It's a great comfort for all of us, for any suffering that we face in our lives, that God is up to something, and He's up to something good. He has a unique purpose carved out just for each one of us, and for this, this man born without physical sight as well. Now, while the disciples want to debate <laughs> the theological question, Jesus is saying, guys, we have work to do. Look what He says in verse 4. We must quickly carry out the task assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work, but while I'm here in the world, I am the light of the world. This theme of light that started back in chapter 1, it's continuing right on through. So Jesus is saying, stop debating theology. There are hurting people here. Let's get busy doing the work that literally God sent me, he says, to do. And by inclusion of the disciples, we're all involved in that same work. So he corrects their misunderstanding, calls them to action, and then takes action himself. And look at it in verse 6. And as we read this in our modern sensibilities, we're like, ooh, what? He spit on the ground made mud with saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. And all the seventh graders say, ew, right? You know, in the ancient world, there was a belief that human saliva held medicinal properties. So much so that before soldiers went into battle, they would anoint their shields with saliva. It was a magical, sort of a pagan idea. But, you know, in our modern day, we're educated. We've grown past these silly superstitions. We would never believe that human saliva contains medicinal properties. 
but the last time you burned your finger on the stove, <laughs> where did your finger go? <laughs> or you smashed your thumb with a hammer, you know, where did your finger go? Where did your thumb go? Yeah, in Jesus' world, this was a belief. Jesus is not practicing some kind of mumbo jump. Matter of fact, the rabbis forbade, they forbade the uh, practicing of this kind of magical potion. Jesus is simply communicating to this blind man, and I think for all of us as well, something that, uh, in, in a language that he would understand, that would make sense to him, all right? I'm, I'm, I'm doing something to heal your physical affirmity. And this is not the first time Jesus has made clay, right? Back in the beginning of creation, Jesus, the creative agent, the creator himself, forms man out of the dust of the ground. And so here he's taking dust of the ground and using this to start the new creation in this broken man's life. So he uh, makes this mud or clay, and literally it says it's his clay, his mud, not the blind man's mud, the mud Jesus makes. It's, it's this homage to creative work. He's recreating his broken humanity. He takes the mud and he puts it on his eyes and he tells him to go to the pool of Siloam. And then John tells us, so we won't miss the significance here, by the way, notice in parentheses, Siloam means scent. That's what, it's the scent pool. Jesus has just said, remember, I'm the one that God has sent to do these works in the world as Messiah. The Old Testament talks about him opening the eyes of the blind and he says to this blind man, I want you to go to the scent pool. Here in a uh, picture of the uh, scale replica of the city of Jerusalem, which you can see now in the city of Jerusalem, the pool of Siloam all the way down the hill from the temple there. So this guy had a fair distance to go, right, to get there. And he's told to go and wash. And we just read matter of fact, matter of factly here at the end of verse 7. So the man went and he washed and he came back seeing. <laughs> His entire life, he's not seen anything. And in obedient response to this one directive Jesus gives him, he is miraculously healed. And that is the setting for what's about to take place in John chapter 9. Now, the conflict, any good story has conflict, right? So the conflict now begins with what unfolds here in John 9 like a trial story. This is a trial with language of subpoena, a subpoena to a witness, expert witness. We're going to see some badgering of the witness. This is a trial setting. And the one who's really on trial is Jesus. But the, and Jesus now steps out of the story. We read about him in the very beginning of John 9 and not till the very end does Jesus show up again. So all through this next part of the passage, we're, we're overhearing a trial. It begins with the neighbors and friends of the man. Verse 8, they, uh, they knew him as a blind beggar, and they ask each other, isn't, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, yes, it's him. And others said, no, it can't be. No, it can't be. He, he must just look. He's got a stunt double. You know, he, he looks like him but he's not really him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. Verse 11 or verse 10, they ask him, well, who, who did this to you? How did this happen? 
he responds. And notice now, this guy has very rudimentary knowledge of who Jesus is. He's basically saying, this guy called Jesus. He made mud, and he spread it over my eyes, and he told me, go to the scent pool and wash yourself. So I went and washed. He's just recounting the physical facts, and he says, now I can see. And so they ask him, where is Jesus? And he says, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he, he truly is at the very beginning of any kind of relationship with Jesus, not a lot of knowledge. He has zero knowledge, and as the story continues, the Pharisees are going to be claiming they have all knowledge. He says, I don't even know where, where he went. Well, the neighbors think we're going to have a problem here because this happened, we read in verse 13, or verse 14, it happened on the Sabbath. And uh, the, the rabbis had their Sabbath rules, and one of the rules was you can't knead dough, K-N-E-A-D, you can't knead dough on the Sabbath because that's working. Well, here's Jesus. He's been kneading a dough-like substance like clay, so they're going to trip him up on this violation of their rules. So the neighbors, it's like they grab him by the shirt collar and they drag him down to the Pharisees. It says they, they took the man who had been blind, and because it was on the Sabbath, Jesus had made mud and healed him. And look what the Pharisees asked. They asked the man all about it. So he told them, here in verse 15, he put mud on my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. He's <laughs> just reporting the facts. These, this is what happened. Well, some of the Pharisees say then, we've got this divided response now in verse 16. Some say, and, and notice how they describe Jesus, this man, Jesus, is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. They're deliberately trying to kind of demote him. He's just a human. This man, Jesus, he's not from God. This arrogant, confident pronouncement. He is not from God because he is breaking our Sabbath rules. Not God's Sabbath rules, but theirs. But then others of the Pharisees, notice this division, they say this, how, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? How can this be? So there was a deep division. Well, then the, the Pharisees come back for a second round of questioning. And notice this question now changes from what happened to what is your opinion about this man? There's the demotion again. This man who healed you. And look what the man says there at the end of verse 17. He replied, I think he must be a prophet. <laughs> so... I know his name is Jesus. I don't know where he went. I guess he might be a prophet. He's, he's, he's beginning to kind of put together. I mean, Old Testament prophets on many occasions were given abilities to work miraculous signs. You can think back through some of your Old Testament stories and prophets who worked miraculous signs or had miraculous things happen through them. This guy's putting two and two together and saying, he's got to be a prophet. I mean, how, how could you do this if at least you're not a prophet. Well, the, uh, the Pharisees are not uh, happy with his reply. They still, they're trying to get to the bottom of this, and they're trying to discredit what has obviously happened in their midst. 
And so they call the parents in, verse 18. They called in his parents. They asked them, look at three questions now. First two deal with um, their son's identity. And the, the third one deals with what happened to him and how it happened. Is this your son? Was he born blind? And if so, how can he now see? Well, the parents are wise to the fact that a trap is being laid for them. And we read there in verse 20, their, their response, yes, we know this is our son. We, yes, he was born blind. We were there when it happened. But notice what they do next. We don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. And then John tells us, they said this, verse 22, because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And these leaders had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said he's old enough, ask him. They're distancing themselves from what is from Jesus and trying to stay in the good graces of the authorities. Now think, think about this. In the Jewish world, the place you go to connect with the God who created you, to worship him, that place is the synagogue. And the threat has been publicly announced. Anyone who identifies Jesus as Messiah, you will no longer have the privilege of coming here for worship. You are excommunicated. You are put out. Kind of the Jewish ban, right? Well, after the parents' dodging of the question, they call the blind man back, the formerly blind man back, a second time. And notice the questioning is going to turn really adversarial now. This, these guys would definitely be accused of badgering the witness were they in a modern-day court. Look at their next statement as he comes back, the man who had been blind, John's careful to tell us. They tell him this, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. You see, you see the, the humble admission of lack of knowledge on the blind man's part, the healed man now, and you see this arrogant claim that we have perfect knowledge. So they're saying to this guy, stop saying that he's a prophet or he's done something miraculous. We know he's a sinner and you should give God glory, not this man. It's a, it's a leading statement to try and force this man to give the testimony they want. And notice this guy's response. I love this. Verse 25. He says, boys, I'm going to leave the theology of this to you. He goes, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. <laughs> but this I know. I was blind, and now I can see you guys, right? That's just the physical reality. You all debate the theology, whether Jesus is a sinner or not. I'm, I'm uncommitted on that at this point. But I know this. I can see now. They ask again, what did he do? How did he heal you? <laughs> Notice his response. Look, he said, guys, I told you once. Didn't you listen? I mean, he's getting a bit exasperated. I love this. This guy has some, this guy has some spirit. You know, he has some fire in him. Didn't you listen? You, you want to hear it again? You want to become his disciples too? I mean, you talk about a center shot. You talk about upsetting the apple cart. Here, this guy. You guys want to become his disciples. 
Then they cursed him. I mean, the, the high spiritual character is now coming to the surface of these leaders. They cursed him. And they said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know, here comes the arrogance again, we know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Now the formerly blind man is going to enter into a bit of theology with them. (laughs) He says, that's very strange, fellas. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from? We know, and here's his theology, we know God doesn't listen to sinners Actually, not correct, because God is going to listen to this sinner in just a few moments here. (laughs) We know God doesn't listen to sinners, but He's ready to hear those who worship Him and do His will. Now, there's an element of truth in what He's saying, but also, aren't you glad God does listen to sinners who call out to Him? And then He makes this summary statement, ever since the world began, No one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. Well, that's the straw that breaks the camel's back proverbially, proverbially, and so they pronounce judgment on this man. You were born a total sinner. There again, being consistent with their theology, you must ascend or you wouldn't have been born the way you are. You were born a total sinner, And you are trying to teach us, the leaders with the seminary degrees, right? And so they throw him out of the synagogue. They excommunicate him. That one place on earth that he could come to connect with his creator, it's now denied him. You know, just an aside here, it seems to me this is, uh, this is true in our world today. Spiritual blindness is often accompanied by arrogance. People who don't know what they don't know, they're often wrong but never in doubt, as the saying goes, you know, confidently claiming, and we hear it, we hear it all over popular media today, people making ignorant statements about God and themselves. You know, it's like the reverse, The most amazing thing is not that God became a human. The most amazing thing is that humans think they are God. (laughs) Well, the story continues with a beautiful reversal. Sorry, I missed a slide here. Would someone like to change these slides for me? (laughs) Okay. Jesus is now going to reveal himself to this man. This guy who's cut off from worship, alienated, excommunicated, Look at verse 35. Jesus heard what had happened. He found him and he asked, oh, this is a beautiful thing. Do you, and in in Greek it's like you, it's up front, you, do you believe in the Son of Man? Feel the directness of this question because Jesus is not just asking this guy then, he's asking all of us now. You, do you believe in the Son of Man. The Son of Man, this guy would have recognized, you're talking about the Messiah. And look at his answer. Actually, who is he, sir? (laughs) Who is he? I want to believe in him. No arrogance. It's humility, openness. I don't know, but I I want to. Yes, I've been taught since a child the Messiah is going to come. He's going to 
open the eyes of the blind. And I stand here now looking at you, and I'm asking, who is he? So I can believe in him. He calls Jesus kurios, sir. It's a title of respect, but it also can mean Lord God. I think in verse 36, it means, sir, title of respect. (laughs) And look at what Jesus says. It's It's so great to this formerly blind person. You have seen him, and he is the one who is speaking to you now. And the man responds, verse 38, yes, Lord, same word, different meaning. (laughs) Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. He's denied by the Pharisees, but he's welcomed by God himself to know him and to worship him in spirit and in truth. Well, the story concludes here. The resolution comes in verse 39 to 41, and uh, the whole story has been building to this statement that Jesus now back in the scene is going to make, this pronouncement. When Then it says, verse 39, Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they, that they see that they are actually blind. Now, we read that statement, Jesus said, I came to render judgment. Like, whoa, wait, wait, we read back in chapter 3, God sent not his son to condemn the world, but that the world could be saved. What do you mean you came to give judgment? Well, he's talking about rendering judgment. He's talking about, as a judge on a bench, making an accurate decision of reality. You are innocent, you are guilty, etc. Jesus said, I, I come to make this pronouncement. This is truth. That those who are blind, he says there in verse 39, to, to give sight to the blind. He's not just talking physically now. He's talking about this blindness of heart we're all born with. He, came, he said, I came to open spiritual eyes that were blinded by sin to give them sight so they can see God as He is and see themselves as they are. And he said, I came that those who think they see to actually confirm their blindness. Isaiah talks about this, where blindness is not only a condition of the human heart, for those who reject the light that God is giving them, it becomes a judgment upon them, like confirming their blindness, deepening their blindness. Fascinating, verse 40, some Pharisees were standing by overhearing the conversation. And they heard him and they asked, are you saying we're blind? A little late to the party here or something, a little slow to put this together. Yes, he's saying they're blind. And their question, the way it's asked, actually anticipates a negative response. They think he's going to say, oh, no, 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 I'm not saying you're blind. And look at how Jesus responds. If you were blind, he says, you wouldn't be guilty. In other words, if you acknowledged, yes, we don't look at God or ourselves properly. We are blinded by sin. We are self-deceived. We are blind. He says, if that were the case, you would not be guilty. You would be forgiven. 
but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. Many years ago now, my goodness, probably, uh, oh, over 30 years ago, my brother-in-law, who I love dearly, we just were there with him uh, last week in uh, Indiana, uh, my brother-in-law grew up in a Christian organization, Christian church, uh, I will say a Christian church uh, that was very, very legalistic in its orientation. I've talked to you before about the doing Christianity and the done Christianity. This was very much the doing Christianity. And people were being taught in this group that you must keep all, I mean, yeah, believe in Jesus, yeah, you got to be baptized by immersion. If you didn't do that, you're not, you're, you know, sorry. And you got to keep all God's rules after these things have happened. And if you don't, then guess what? Uh, you're not really saved. It was a horrible misrepresentation of the gospel of God's grace. He grew up, just had it up to here by the time he got to college age. He went off to university. He completely abandoned any any connection to Christianity while he was in university, became a thoroughgoing evolutionist, and he's, a, he's an aeronautical engineer. He's a brainiac of a guy. Uh, but he married my sister, and, but professing, yeah, I, I believe in the Lord. I'm a Christian. They, became, they were married. My sister was saved, but not walking with the Lord at that time. And over the early years of their marriage, it became very obvious uh, Vance doesn't he doesn't really know the Lord. So I invited him to go with a group of men from the church I was pastor of at the time. We went down to North Carolina at a Christian camp, and we, we backpacked about 30 miles in several days on the Appalachian Trail in, uh, in, uh, in North Carolina. And I told Vance, I said, now, look, all these guys that are coming, they're all believers, and we're going to, like, read the Bible a lot and we're going to talk about the Bible, and it, we're going to have like campfire services at night, and somebody's going to preach. And he's like, oh, okay, I'm down with that. I'm good with that. I'm like, okay, good. Um, and I was just praying all week that, because I, I knew the reality in his life was he's, he's still blinded. He thinks he's okay, but he's really not. <laughs> he doesn't understand God as he is or himself as he is. And um, day by day, I just saw the Spirit of God beginning to work, you know, through these conversations, through this the interaction with all these brothers that were just l- loving him for the sake of his soul. And uh, one night after the campfire service was done, Vance comes to me and he's like, hey, can we go somewhere and talk? Like, yeah, sure. So we wind up uh, away from the group where our uh, shelters were and we're swinging on hammocks. We start this conversation at about nine in the evening Somewhere along about 2 o'clock in the morning, no joke, this conversation was just intense, up in, for five hours. About 2 o'clock in the morning, he says, Sam, what you're saying is that if a person commits one sin, it would violate God's holiness and we would be deserving of his judgment. Is that what you're saying? And I said, Yes. <laughs> That's what God's word is saying. And it's dark, you know, I can hear the hammock swinging back and forth. There's a silence. And then he says, I'm toast. (laughs) That's what he said. Then I'm toast. I said, yes, you are toast and I am toast. Except 
for what God has done. Someone else became toast for us, right? (laughs) And I shared with him the good news. And in that moment, in that moment when he admitted, I am blind, I haven't seen this right, essentially the cry of his heart was, God, open my eyes. And God opened his eyes. And the light of the gospel started shining in his heart that night, and it is still shining there brightly. We had wonderful fellowship as we were home and staying in their home for a few days. Well, the, the lesson of the story is this, that the truly blind are those who refuse to see that the truth is in Jesus, that God is holy and that we are sinful and we can do nothing about it, and that only through what God has done for us, Jesus living a perfect life we could not live, climbing on a cross and dying a death in place of all of us, you know, that's the only thing that will open our eyes through this gracious working of God's Spirit to give us true spiritual sight. So I close with just a couple of very simple applications here. Friend, if you're here today and you would say, I, I feel that I'm far off from God still. I, I haven't come into this relationship. I, I, I'm, I'm not there. Hear Jesus' question to you this morning. You, are you believing that Jesus is the Messiah? Are you seeing God as He truly is, holy? Are you seeing yourself as you truly are, sinful and in need of a Savior? If so, come to Him, call out to Him, and you'll be forgiven and shown His mercy. Brother, sister in Christ, there's a couple of thoughts here. One, think about your suffering, your malady, your situation. Maybe not physical blindness, but every life, into every life some rain must fall, Right? How are we responding to the difficulty God brings in our life with faith and trust? And you know what? God can use even this as an opportunity for me to be a witness and to give glory to Him, as this man did. Or are we saying, why me? Why this? Why now? Get it out of my life, Lord, please. This isn't fair. The text is calling us to recognize there's no mistakes in God's world. Everything that comes into our lives came across God's desk, and He stamped approved on it first right? And then, brother and sister in Christ, maybe this week, just take a few minutes. Look, you have the amazing gift of spiritual sight. You see God for who He is, and you see yourself as you truly are, and you, you know about the mercy and the grace of God in the gospel of Christ. Why not take a few moments this week and just get the Bible open and just look at it again and be amazed that I'm among those who understand this, who see this, who've been blessed by this, so that as, we, as Amanda read earlier the text, so that we can proclaim His excellencies to the generation God has called us to. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for opening our eyes. And I pray if there be anyone here who yet is stumbling around in spiritual darkness, that this might be the day They come to the full confession of who they are and who you are and that your spirit would open their eyes to truth. They would recover the ability 
to see you as you are and themselves as they are and rejoice in the glory of the gospel. And I pray for those of us who know you. There might be a brother or sister here this morning struggling a bit with what you're permitting in their life. I pray by your spirit you would call them to embrace that and turn it into your praise, turn it into an opportunity to witness and to glorify you. And may, Lord, we all find time this week to step aside from the crazy, hectic schedules, the lives that we all lead, and just to, once again, enjoy the beauty that we see in Christ through uh, what your word teaches us about him, who he is, how he lived, what he came to do, what he has done, and what he is doing in our behalf now as our intercessor. This we pray with thankful hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.